Well, good morning. You guys awake? Had your coffee? 8.30 was awake, I gotta tell you. Well, we are in week three of our Nehemiah series, and I'm gonna give you a quick little bit of review, and after this week, you're gonna have to go back and listen to the podcast to get the review, but remember, we're, we started this new series for the summer because we, as a church, are building a new future together. We're looking at what it takes um, to build into what God has for us for the future. And so we, we, we check in on Nehemiah. We remember that Babylon defeated Israel and, and, and wasted all of their cities and their walls and then took their best and brightest youth off to Babylon into captivity. Well, then the Persians came along and they defeated the Babylonians and the king of Persia starts sending these foreign captives back to their homeland. So we have Israel, a broken and shattered people returning to a broken nation. And at some point, this remnant of Israel who's, who's been shipped off and come back, they, they get back to their homeland and they decide to, to try as best they can to rebuild the temple and rebuild the wall. Because without a wall, they're defenseless. Remember, in the ancient of days, a wall is what kept you and your families, your livelihood from being plundered. It's not like today where we have airplanes and rockets and all these things. Back then, if you had a wall, it was, it was safe. And I just want to step aside right now and say this. Um, in this series, we're discussing the wall of Jerusalem. That's the only wall we're discussing. I am in no way making any reference to anything political. I'm making a biblical point, okay? Uh, this is apolitical. There's no political stuff in this. A wall, let me put it this way. A wall would be like your, your, if, your front doors. If your house had all the doors blown off of it how would you sleep at night knowing that at any moment a person or more likely a bear could sneak in and help itself to anything in your house i mean you would you would live differently if at any moment someone could just come on in any way they wanted and that's how the the people of israel lived they had no defense they had nothing to keep people out They they were building up a livelihood that was constantly being plundered by people around them so before even the time of nehemiah before he even came along, Israel decided to rebuild. And I'm going to skip a large section of this, but in Ezra, it's another book of the Bible, we find a lot of history about this time that matches up with the history of the secular historians. In fact, we have the exact letters that some people wrote to Artaxerxes, and then Artaxerxes replied back to them because they wrote these letters that said, Artaxerxes, guess what? The people in Israel, they're rebuilding their walls. And if you let this happen, they're rebellious and dangerous. And they won't send you any more money. We have Artaxerxes' letter as he responds back to those people and says, I order it now. Do not let them rebuild. And he says, do not let this matter go. In other words, do not overlook it. Don't let it go. Go tell them the building and the rebuilding in Jerusalem should stop. And they go to Jerusalem, they go to Israel and say, by order of the king, cease all of your rebuilding. Leaving these people to live in shame exposed and vulnerable and this is before even nehemiah is on the is in the story finally we get to nehemiah he becomes cupbearer of the king and every single day nehemiah gets the cup of wine tastes it tastes the food he's a cupbearer he's the one that that keeps the poison from getting to the to the king and that job is very rare very unique there's only one of them it's a job where you get to live in luxury and experience the best but but there's not really a retirement plan for a cupbearer. There's not a long shelf life for a cupbearer because at some point somebody's going to try something and you're going to have a, a bad glass of Merlot and that might be the end of your career. And so Nehemiah has this job, 
Now, he's, he's never been to Israel, we think. He was born into captivity. And, and last week we talked about how he heard that his nation was in ruins and it broke his heart. He, he, was, he was captured by a, a vision that was bigger than him. And his first response was to pray. Now, we don't stop at thoughts and prayers, but we start there. He prayed and said, God, what do I do? This is, it's burning within me and it's such a big thing. He didn't do anything. He didn't say anything. Who would he, who would he tell and what would he do? He, he prayed. And so in Nehemiah 2, we pick up and we're four months later since he had this news. For four months, he's done nothing but pray that God would, would give him an opportunity to step forward to help his people. So we pick up in Nehemiah 2, chapter 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when, mine, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. The reason you're not sad in front of the king is because he might just remove you from service or remove your head from your body. The king doesn't want people around him that are skulking and sad and harshing his mellow. He wants people who are at peace and happy and reminding him that it's good to be the king. Now, Nehemiah's heart is broken. For four months, he's had this crushing news, and I bet he's faked it every day as best he could. But we see here, it gets to him. He's overcome, and his life is now in jeopardy because you do not know how the king is going to respond. You don't want to give the king any reason to punish you. In fact, if you look through history, kings and queens don't really need a reason to uh, say off with their head. And this is the most powerful man on the planet, King Artaxerxes. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not even sick? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. You know, the king knows Nehemiah. Every time the king has a snack or a sip or a meal, he sees Nehemiah. He's used to seeing him in his presence. It's, it's the last face he sees before he takes the wine. And Nehemiah's probably smiling, bowing. And he sees him in this downcast mood and says, it's got to be something wrong within your heart. Now, how will Nehemiah respond? Now, what he, quote, should do is just apologize, bow down and say, oh, I'm so sorry, your king. Nothing, everything is fine. But Nehemiah, since this is his journal he's writing here, he tells us his, his feelings. He says, in, he says here, I was very much afraid. The word is terrified. I was terrified. Here I am doing my job, and all of a sudden I'm on the spot, and I'm terrified because it could go wrong. He's struggling with fear in this moment. The next sentence that he speaks could be his last sentence. How he responds, life will be different on the other side of what he says. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. That's a great way to start. Why should my face not look sad when the city of my ancestors are buried, lies in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire? Nehemiah lets it out. And he knows that the throne has previously commanded that construction be stopped. He knows that the king of Persia views his people as a nuisance and, re and, and rebels and dangerous. But he lets it out. The king said to me, well, what is it you want? Now that's favor. Nehemiah's been praying for favor. Remember all these months, he's been, he, pray, he prayed specifically for favor in, in chapter 1. And here we see that God is moving the heart of this king. And before Nehemiah even tells him what he wants, he says this, Then I prayed to the God in heaven. You know, Nehemiah knew that God was at work. And he didn't want to just speak out. He wanted to see what God would have. So he asked God for wisdom. You know, sometimes in our passion and our zeal, we get ahead of what's best. 
Nehemiah knows that God has brought him to this very moment. And so he says, God, give me favor. Give me wisdom. I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, let him send me to the city of Israel where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Now that's a huge undertaking. One man going back and rebuilding a nation. Well, then the king with the queen next to him said, how, or asked, how long will your journey take and, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I, I set a time. Now, the king is agreeable to Nehemiah's plan. But Nehemiah's gonna need more than just a visit. He's, he's one person. He has this huge vision, this huge call ahead of him. So what does he do? Well, Nehemiah at this point takes the biggest risk he's taken so far. Because right now, he's, he's already come out unscathed. But he's not done I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that I can provide safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for my residence that I will occupy. Nehemiah goes all in. He personally risks his own life. He personally steps up and risks his own livelihood for the sake of the calling that God has put before him. Nehemiah has been in the courtroom every day. He's seen people come before the king and ask for big things, and he has seen it go differently than this. He has seen people drug out of there to be executed. So he knows that he's not asking some small favor. Then Nehemiah says this. He knows where the favor comes from. And because of the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters, and the king also sent army officers and cavalry with me. Favor to move forward. God's moving on his behalf. Now I want to stop here for a minute. You see, Nehemiah's heart was captured by a great cause, a vision. And he didn't know what to do, but he knew that prayer should be the start of it. So he started praying four months ago. Nehemiah kept praying and kept trusting that God was going to do something. He didn't know when. He had no idea how. But day after day and week after week and even month after month, he kept praying and waiting patiently for God to open a way. Orchard, when was the last time you were so captured by something you prayed for four months? When was the last time you were so moved by something that moves the heart of God? You prayed for four weeks and four days. When was the last time you were so burdened with something from God? You prayed for four hours. See, God's going to be calling us to something. God's going to call each of us and as a group to something big. And our hope is that as we are, we are moved by the things that move the heart of God and prayer is our response. Nehemiah kept praying and faithing that God would make a way. And then when the opportunity presented itself, and this is important, Nehemiah risked everything. Notice that he didn't force it. Notice that he didn't say, uh, when he found the news, the next day he just barged in and asked the king. He waited patiently, covered in prayer. He prayed for God to move. Now I've noticed something in my life. When God puts something on my heart, that, and there's, there's, there's closed doors in the way, I would rather pray a door open than pry a door open. You know, oftentimes in life when we feel God's given us a vision or, or a, something ahead of us, we want to go and pry our way forward. And oftentimes we miss his timing. 
pray and wait for God to set an opportunity before us. I would rather depend on God's divine favor to move forward than my human force to make it happen. Nehemiah admits, I was terrified. I was very afraid. But he did not let that fear stop him. But if we're honest, we would admit that fear is what often stops us. Orchard, where do your fears, your fears hold you back? You know, God has most likely asked you to step up in some way, to step out in faith at some time. And, and if you're like me at all, you've had opportunities in your past and you've said no. Perhaps God even asked you something lately. And, and our response was to just ignore that request and move past it as fast as possible because of fear. And we need to ask ourselves a hard question this morning. Where is it that our fear dictates our faith? Where is it where your fear is dictating your faith? You see, when, when our fear informs our faith, we don't step out, we don't step up, we don't dare risk, we just play it safe. But I want to remind us of something here, Orchard. God is calling us to step up. He's calling us to step out in faith. And faith is believing. And faith is, listen, you don't have to know what's going to happen or how it's going to happen. But you have confidence in God, the one who called you. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, that faith is confidence in what you hope for and is assurance about what you don't even see. While fear is insecurity of what you hope for and it's doubt about what you don't see. And when fear trumps faith, we step down, we stay in our lane you know, fear keeps our feet from moving. It keeps our minds from dreaming. It keeps our visions small. It keeps our hearts playing it safe. And it keeps our mouths shut. Fear is what chains us to a mediocre life. Fear has never changed the world for the better. And fear is the enemy of spiritual awakening that we're praying and hoping for in this place. Now, that said, fear can be present anytime. It will be present Anytime you're called to something larger than yourself. When you're called to step up, when we feel that call to step out, fear will be present. Anytime you feel the call to step out of your comfort zone, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel that little bit of fear or a lot of fear. You know, we had baptisms last week and, and fear was involved. I've never been a part of a baptism where the person wasn't nervous or even afraid. In fact, I would say that what, most, what keeps people most out of getting baptized is fear. The very fear of wondering what people will think of me. And so we baptized Chris and Melissa last week, and then soaking wet, we dedicated their son in their arms. It was awesome. Now, Melissa told me afterwards that, that she was afraid to get baptized. It's no small thing to be up here publicly speaking. But listen to her words that she told me afterwards. I wanted to choose Jesus over my fears and I cared more about what Jesus thought about me and what he wanted of me. And as soon as I was done, I felt such a strong ownership of my faith. She stepped out in faith despite her fear. And, and that's the key. You see, fear is present, but fear wasn't getting the last word in Melissa and Chris's life. Her faith was leading her fear. Listen, courage isn't the absence of fear. Courageous people aren't unafraid. Courage is doing what God calls you despite your fear. If there are actions that God is calling you to do and you wait till you're not afraid, you'll never get to them. Let me say that again. 
if, if God's calling you to step out and step up, and you're going to wait till you're not afraid, it's not going to happen. God didn't promise that you would never fear. He promised to go with you in it. Who's informing your decisions? Your faith or your fear? Fear is not even the evidence that you're off God's path. In fact, fear could be evidence that you're right where he wants you. Think of the people in the Bible. Think of what David must have felt as he's staring down a giant or Moses stepping in front of a Red Sea that's not split or Mary stepping in to carry the Messiah and Nehemiah stepping in to talk to Artaxerxes. The disciples, even though they were going to be killed, stepping up and proclaiming their faith even as they were martyred. These were human people with human emotions, just like us. And I would bet they were as just afraid as we would be in those situations. But they took courage because of their relationship with God. And they chose to stand on their faith instead of bow to their fear. You see, fear, I'm sorry, faith steps out in favor. While fear keeps us in our comfort zone. Fear and faith are always at work within us. And the question is, Orchard, which voice do you partner with? Which voice do you partner with? You'll forever be changed by whichever these voices you let lead your spiritual life. Both speak to you. One calls you forward. The other accuses you to stay right where you are. General Patton talked about this, and he said, I learned at a very early age in my life never to take counsel of my fears because it doesn't give good wisdom. Your faith can move mountains, but your fear can create them. God's calling us to a movement to step in to be a people where we see cultural, social, maybe even physical mountains moved if we step in faith. We step in fear. Each of these decisions will grow to the size of a mountain in our life. Whose voice do we listen to? There's a man named um, Genez Rus. He was a 32-year-old shoemaker during the time of the Second World War. And he sided with the wrong team. Now, he didn't do anything illegal. He didn't even sign up for anything. He just endorsed publicly the, the losing side. And when everything went back and the war was over, he was so afraid of what people would think. In June of 1945, he went into hiding in his sister's farmhouse. He didn't tell a soul. He just disappeared. He later would recall how he hid day after day and month after month in that house and even, yes, year after year, never leaving. And he said that he was so captured by this sadness and this fear of what people would think that while he was in the farmhouse, he would hear happy voices around him walking by on the street, and it, he would just start to cry that they could be out there doing those things, and he couldn't. He even talked about how his mother's funeral passed by, and he didn't join in. All he could see was down the valley, out this little window to the village. Years later, years later, he was discovered by chance, and he soon found out that the fear that had kept him in prison was a fabrication. He had conjured it up on his own, Listen to what he said. He said, if I had not been discovered, I would have still be remaining in hiding. I would have died in hiding. I'm so happy I was found. Now, this story seems so unique and so rare, but it's, it's not. You see, I believe that many of us have a faith life that is locked up simply out of fear for what others 
would think. It's locked away. And we get so sad even when we hear the happy voices of those who have a thriving faith. They're vocal about it. Oh, I wish I could be like that. And even when tragedy hits, we, our faith doesn't engage. We don't want the world to see. We don't dare step out. But just like Mr. Rue, someday we will all be set free. Someday we'll all look back on our life and see that the, the very prison that held us was locked from the inside, on our side. And that the fear that kept us in prison, the fear that held our faith back, was a fabrication. You see, in the end of times, it will be revealed that our fear is fiction. Conjured up to keep our lives small and contained. But while fear is fiction, faith is a firm foundation. You see, while fear holds you back, faith holds you firm. While fear wants to diminish your life, faith expands your living. Some of us are so afraid to die, we forget to even live. Some of us are so afraid to fail, we dare not risk. And some of us are so afraid to stand out that we just live a life looking like everyone else. Because we're listening to the voice of fear. And fear is fiction, yet it scripts our lives, and it scripts our future. And we learn from Nehemiah that even though we're afraid, Nehemiah personally steps out in faith. He was afraid, and he stepped out in faith. He makes a personal decision to let faith lead his fear. And for some of us today, for some of us, it's time to faith our fears. It's time to let our faith be the voice that informs us most. It's time to look at the faith God is calling us to and the, and the accusing voice of fear and choose which path we'll walk. Orchard, I chose the book of Nehemiah as our first together because God is calling us to be a people who are a part of a movement of God, a redemptive movement. But before we all step up together, Orchard, we're called to step up individually. And God's going to ask you, yes, you, to step up. For Melissa and Chris, it was stepping into the baptism. For, other, for another one of my friends, it was talking to his wife about stepping up in faith to financially support the orchard in our vision. And I just want to say, the vision and the calling of the orchard is only increasing. And I am praying for us. I'm praying that many of us would step up to be a resource for this vision. For others of you, it will be stepping into leadership, stepping into service, there's, there's so many places in this church, this is next week, we're going to look at to lead and, and serve, that require individuals to step up in their own life. Nehemiah stepped into leadership without even knowing if he had it in him. And I, and I can only imagine, you don't get this part of it, but Nehemiah, he's human just like us. He probably had a million excuses not to say anything, not to do anything, just to stay where he was. I mean, who does Nehemiah think he is? He's going to leave the palace and go travel to a different nation and rebuild a nation? Are you kidding me? Who does he think he is? I mean, I mean think of it. Nehemiah's job is to, to, to grab a cup from one place, walk it to another. That's what he's called to do. How much leadership does it take? He doesn't need leadership. He needs a steady hand. And so we, well, anytime he's asked to step up, he's like, God, oh, not me. I'm just a cupbearer. I'm no leader. Well, we say the same thing. Oh, I'm not a pastor. I've never been to seminary. I don't know all the answers. I'm just, uh, insert what you are. We have all the excuses. But remember this. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. 
And if God's going to call us, he's going to equip us. And if God's going to call you to step up, he's going to equip you. God called Nehemiah, a guy who carried a cup, to go lead a nation, and God equipped him for it. If God calls you to step up, he's going he's to give you what you need to step up with. Nehemiah had every reason to stay in his comfort zone and listen to the accusation of fear. And Orchard, you, we, have every reason to stay in our comfort zone of faith as well. Every reason, except one. That's the God who created you. The God who calls you. He says, lean into your faith, not your fear. And step into something bigger than yourself. I'm calling you to be a part of a larger movement than your life. Step up in faith. For all of us, God is calling us individually to step forward. And, and I can't give enough examples to hit each one of our lives because I know we all have our own, our own paradigm. And maybe you've already felt him, maybe you've already felt him ask you to step up. To be great together, we're going to need to step up individually. And we're going to see this church and this region change because we are the people who say yes. Not no, not but first, not later, but yes. If you call, I will say yes. I would never ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do. And so, just to let you know, a month ago, when, when Charlie said that he was stepping out and, and told me that I was going to have the chance to, to step up, um, I responded like Nehemiah. I didn't cry, but I did pray. You know, it was, because um, it was going to be a big change for me, a huge step up, a huge step out. And it reminded me of a story. When I was in my mid-20s, I was in Georgia, I was being mentored by the pastor over there who was mentoring me to kind of take over, and, and he, we were on a walk around the campus, and we, we were just talking about life. We came over this big hill and looked down, and below us was this big campus of this church. And he said, Daniel, Someday, God's going to give you a church. And 25-year-old me said, yeah, I know. I know that. <laughs> you remember 25-year-old you? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. And he said something else. He said, and when he does, you won't need it. And I got to say this. The moment Charlie talked to me about this, I did not need it. <laughs> I said, Charlie, give me two more years. I got some things, but first I have some things to do. You see, it's easy, it's easier to stay in my lane than to be open to public failure. I had my excuses, I had my fears, I had every reason to stay in my comfort zone, except for that one still small voice, the voice of God. And if I've learned anything in my 43 years, it's to listen to that voice. That voice is more precious and more powerful than anything else I can bank on and have faith in in this world. Any other whisper, any other yell or scream of fear or accusation saying, don't do it, play it safe. Those voices, although loud, they don't hold the weight that that still small voice of God does that calls us out, that calls us forward. He calls each of us with that voice. He calls you forward with that voice. And yes, you may hear the screams of the accusations of who do you think you are? Don't do it. But his voice calls you all the same. 
is a voice called me and said, my son, for such a time as this, I'm calling you to step out. And his voice will call you and say, my daughter, it's time for you to step forward in faith that I've called you to. My son, it's time for you to, to discard your parents' faith that you've been living on and own your own faith. The voice of God that says, my daughter, it's time to let the past be the past, to let go of the bitterness, to let go of those who've wronged you, and to step out in faith and forgiveness to experience freedom. It's the voice that says, my son, you are talented in this community. Your business is thriving. People respect you. But I gave you those gifts not just to build your kingdom, but to build mine. For such a time as this, I want you to step up into a redemptive movement. My daughter, you're so capable and savvy. Where you go, change happens. And for such a time as this, I'm calling you to be a kingdom catalyst to see redemption spread. He's calling each of us, wherever we are in life, with that voice that says, step up into this movement. Isaiah 43, verse 1 says this, Do not fear, orchard. Don't fear. You can put your own name in there. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. And you are mine. God calls us. He calls us forward. And even when there's fear, he goes ahead of us and he goes with us. So personally today, where is it you're letting your faith be led by your fear? Orchard, where is your fear making your faith decisions? Where is your fear said, oh no, don't do that. No, no. Are you willing to let your faith rise up? Are you willing to consider today choosing to listen to that voice of faith instead of the voice of fear? Are you willing to, to, to step forward instead of shrink back? Because the orchard's going to move as God moves us. He's the head of this church. Jesus, Jesus is the main thing. And the orchard's going to continue to move as we together and as individuals each say yes. And I want to say this. Stepping out in faith can change your life. But preachers don't always say the other part, and that's this. Slinking back in fear will also change your life. Your life will be changed by which voice you listen to and which voice you partner with. Listen to fear, your life will be different. Step out in faith, your life will be different. We can trust Jesus. As the band comes up, we play and close this. We can trust that where Jesus calls us, he's going to equip us. And what is, what, what is his voice calling you to this morning? There's so many different stories in here. Each of us have a call from God. I would ask you, where is he calling you to step forward? How is he calling you? If you don't know yet, we're going to ask him. As we go into communion, and um, just to remind you, if you're new here, there's no class to take to partake in communion. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And that's, that's how we can do this. And so as you come and take the, the symbol of his body and his blood and sit there, remember that you're holding the elements of courageous love that shows courage and faith and gave everything. And thank Jesus for that. Thank him for his sacrifice. And ask him, where do I need courage today to step up beyond my fear? Orchard, our future God has a big future for us. I'm excited about what we get to do together, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun along the way. But we, we can't move on yet unless we pause today and say, he's going to call you. He's going to call me. 
to say yes. And so this very day, I would encourage you to listen to that still small voice and say yes in faith. Jesus, we thank you for for all that you've given us. And I pray that your spirit of courage would be in this place. That your Holy Spirit would breathe boldness into us. Forgive us where we've given into fear, but draw us into faith. Help us be people who say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.